My guest today on Drifting is Colonel Graham Jones. Graham is the top law enforcement officer for Texas Parks and Wildlife. He's a true conservationist and a true leader. We're fortunate to have him serving our natural resources here in the state of Texas. Enjoy our conversation. Good morning, man. Hey, good morning. What are you guys doing? You all by yourselves there? Yeah, well, uh, we have a daughter here and our other daughter's in Colorado, but uh, yeah, everyone's zooming around and um, just kind of hunkering, hunkering down, man. G Gabby's in college and-, and Yeah, G Gabby's in college. Jaylee's She's here at the house. Yeah, Jaylee's here at the house, yeah. Julie? Julie, your wife, coach on to this deal. <laughs> yeah, Julie's back there somewhere. I think she's probably about to get on with her. Uh, with her, she's a preschool teacher, so she's oh. been getting on with them a couple of a couple she's of doing some tele teleconferencing school. Yeah. yeah. What's the dog's name back there? That is uh, Peta. That's Peta, named after the the character in the uh, Hunger Games. Oh, right on. <laughs> cool, man. How are y'all getting through this deal so far? Everybody, all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate you asking. We're doing good. We're doing good. What about you and the family? How's everybody? Same. Yeah. A you know, couple moments here and there, a little tension, frustration, all, all normal. Work, work through it. And exactly. Appreciate just how fortunate we are, you know? That's it. That's it. How Are you at home? Are you on the coast? Or I'm, where at, are you I'm, at? At home. I'm at home in Austin right now. Okay. Right. Yeah. I'm at my family's home, not my home. Nice. <laughs> looking forward to getting back down on the water yeah you bet is headquarters bet. still functioning as as usual yeah we're well not as usual um you know we're uh our game wardens out uh are out you know primarily moving a lot of personal protection equipment around the state a lot of masks gloves medical supplies so they're really focusing on that right now Obviously, they are, you know, they're there if something were to, you know, as far as their primary mission to, you know, protect the natural resources of Texas, they're obviously still doing that. In fact, they pulled this uh, earlier in the week, they pulled about uh, two miles of long line out in the Gulf. They're just, uh, just outside Boca Chica. So that's still going on. You know, that doesn't stop, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, they'd rather be doing nothing else, I imagine, as well. That's that's exactly right. But it's just one of those things, you know, it's like with Hurricane Harvey, you know, our, our, we're going to step up and, and, and sort of triage and figure out what needs to be done and and, uh, you know, be a proud member of the of the state's uh, response. So we're our game wardens are ready and willing to help out wherever they can. So for folks that don't know, you're the colonel, which makes you the top law enforcement officer and and in charge of law enforcement division for Texas Parks and Wildlife. That's correct. Yes, it's uh, it's my honor to to be in that position, and it's been an absolute dream. The whole career, my whole career as a game board, has really been a dream come true for me. Think, uh, you were, what were you born in? 1970. 1969. 1969, yeah. same year as me. So you're 50 right. years old. Okay. Yeah. And uh, gosh, just to let on to the public a little secret, we're, we're going to be really sad to lose you, but you're going to be retiring here soon, no? I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm retiring officially at the end of this month. God, um, so soon. Yeah. Yeah. So soon, but I'm still going to be very actively involved, uh, proudly uh, involved in conservation issues, you know, across the state. And it's something that's near and dear to my heart. That's nothing's going to change there. I'm taking on a role as the executive director of the uh, 100 club of central Texas. And, and they really serve the families of first responders. Uh, when when in tragedy strikes, so I'm looking forward to that role and helping out on something that's very very uh, important to me. Uh, and then we'll kind of see where the next chapter goes. But I'm I'm ready for that challenge for sure. Gosh, man, so okay for all you young folks that might tune into this. This is these are what smart life decisions look like on the other side of the screen here. <laughs> this man is 50 years old, about to retire likely to have pension and health care for the rest of his life. He served his state and fellow Texans to the best of his professional ability. And me, on the other hand, like, I'm going to be pushing a boat till I'm, you know, can't move anymore. Barely yeah. in the dollar, so. I'm ready. To, hey, let me tell you something. I'm ready to trade right now. What you chose to do, not what I chose to do. <laughs> no, no, no. No, oh, man. No. We just got you. We just got you as colonel. It seems like what was that, 2017? Yeah, it was. It was. It was Harvey. 
right when Harvey, uh, you know, was coming on shore and, and uh, 2017. Yeah, it was. And I know that that was had a huge impact on you and, and what you do and, and what you care about. Uh, and it had a huge impact on all of the state and obviously Louisiana as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's something that, you know, again, that was sort of a baptism by fire. Uh, people ask me all the time, you know, what is one of your proudest moments in this role as Colonel? And I have to say, I respond, first of all, just again, the day-to-day, the day-to-day operations of what our game wardens do where their heart is in, in protecting our natural resources and everything that that encompasses. But that Harvey response, you know, what they did, the, the rescues and evacuations of 12,000 Texans, that was a big deal. That's like, like hundreds, we're talking about hundreds of lives. And so really that, that was absolutely amazing to witness. I didn't have anything to do with that. I was, you know, in a cubicle, but uh, the guys out there uh, in the field uh, taking care of business, helping, their communities that really they were a part of in a lot of those communities. Um, that's just what was, an, was amazing to watch that. Yeah, no doubt. You know, it's like, um, we're both Houston kids, right? You know, growing up, uh, I mean, I didn't disrespect the law, but I, I naturally got into a little bit of trouble here and there. And I figured the, the greater distance between me and a law enforcement official, the better. And it wasn't, you know, and then my only other real experience was making sure that the the bubblegum lights didn't come on behind me on the on the highway as a driver. Um, but I didn't really have a strong connection. No one in my family served as a law enforcement officer, um, man, until we really became friends and I got really deep in with with the daily activity of game wardens and and what they mean to our natural resources. And then having the privilege and honor of being part of the Citizens Game Warden Academy. And then, and then being an ambassador for Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation and now serving on the Saltwater Advisory Committee for Texas Parks and Wildlife. I am I'm absolutely just so reverent of, of all law enforcement officers, but especially as it applies and pertains to my life, you know, the protection of our natural resources and wild animals who have no defense on their own. Um, you know, against the challenges they face, except for being protected by the amazing, and I'm not just blowing smoke. I, every game warden I've met and their passion um, to serve and protect our, our natural resources is just, it's a, a phenomenal group of individuals that you have the privilege to lead. And hats off well, to all you guys and, and, and the risks you take and what you do for us. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but the feeling is absolutely mutual. You know, we can't, we can't, game wardens can't do our job without people like you. You know, you're the eyes and ears of what's going on out there. You have, you have the, really your finger on the pulse of what's going on on, on, the, on the, the, the piece of the Texas coast that you know so well. And your willingness, um, you know, we fished together a few times and I've sent friends and, 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 and referred friends to you as well. And I know how busy you are and for you to take the time to serve on those advisory boards and to be a, you know, it, it, and it, this is something that, that I think, you know, whenever we're, we're talking about what are the big conservation issues, what, what's pending, what's on our, what's on your mind, what's on my mind, you know, so much change that's occurred since we were born in 1969 and what's coming down the pike, you know, really it's that mindset to me is one of the biggest issues. Is, is helping people find that connection with the outdoors. And that's what you do for people. So hats off to you and, and, and for, for everything that you do for us as well. I mean, I, uh, you know, the, the way that you view the environment, the way that you protect the environment uh, is, is absolutely amazing. So I just can't say enough about that. No, thank, thank you, Graham. It means a lot coming from you. So going back to, uh, how did a Houston boy ended up being the colonel for Texas Parks and Wildlife? What was, what, after high school, you went to FBI Academy, didn't you? I, I did, yeah. So, well, so, for, you know, grew up there in Houston and, of course, probably like you, you know, ran outside to the, to the you know, after a rain to the bar ditch with a little string and some bacon and tried to catch those crawfish and frogs and all that kind of cool stuff that was in that, op those, those open spaces that were a little bit more pre prevalent prevalent then than they are now. But, uh, you know, I mean, 
my father, I'm, I'm very close to my folks. They're still around. They live here in Austin. My dad's 90. My mom's 83. And by the way, we're trying to, you know, it's difficult to sort of be away from them during this COVID-19 time. But uh, we're helping them out, obviously, as I, share in, as, I, as I know you are with your mother as well. But, um, you know, my father was not, I would not classify him as an outdoorsman. He respected and understood, and, and we always had a lot of books around the house that, that dealt with wildlife. And I can remember, you know, the snakes of Texas and all these, you know, books that I was fascinated uh, to go through the library and, and, and look at those books and read those books. But he always, and my mother too, supported me in my love of the outdoors from a very young age. I mean, that's really what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be, you know, getting dirty in the Buffalo Bayou, Braised Bayou, you know, chasing carp or chasing catfish or whatever it is we could find. But there was a, uh, there was a family that moved in a couple of houses down. And to this day, I'm best friends with Carlos Vaquero and still very close to his father. His father took me on my first hunting trip when I was eight years old. And really the rest is, is history. I mean, you know, back then we were driving from Houston in their van to through Tamaulipas to Tampico, all through Mexico and La Pesca camping on the beach. I mean, it was, it was, it was an incredible time. And so, you know, that's really what instilled the, the more, the, the love of the outdoors and that connection. He helped me find that connection that I was talking about a few minutes ago. And then of course my, my parents and my other family, you know, understood that and supported me in those decisions. But uh, yeah, I went to, went to high school in Houston. Uh, I worked at, at some people I'm going to, you know, that are as at least as old as we are will remember Oshman Sporting Goods. Oh yeah, uh, I was the fisheries manager, the, the fishing department manager for okay. years at the Oshman Sporting <laughs> Goods on Post Oak. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. So there was a gentleman came in one day and and was checking out. He'd been in a few times, and uh, and he uh, I saw that he had a badge in his wallet and he was a commissioner for for Texas Parks and Wildlife, uh, George Boland. And uh, he said, you know, you, have you ever thought about being a game warden? And, of course, I had already thought about it. But he sort of helped me through the process and helped me maneuver. I've never – in fact, I talked to him two days ago. You see, he's still in – I took, I took yeah. George Fishing a couple years ago. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In his 80s. Yes, he's in his 80s. Yeah. And so he helped me a lot. As, as That's an amazing individual. Amazing individual has done so much for – for conservation and specifically conservation along the coast. But uh, yeah, I went, went to high school, went to Stephen F. Austin University in, in up in East Texas, mainly because I like the fishing around that area. And of course, again, another decision based on, based on what I love to do. Uh, and then graduated from SFA and was, uh, you know, went back to work for Oshman's for a short period of time and then, and then went to the Game Warden uh, Academy in 1993. Uh, and I did, you're right, I did go to the FBI Academy. That was a little bit later. That was in 2007 while I was with Texas Parks and Wildlife. Oh, okay. I thought that that, was, that, that preceded your, your yeah. career in Texas Parks yeah. and Wildlife. What yeah. was the intention of, of that academy? Just further education for law Yeah, further education as far as sort of senior management, law enforcement, and uh, networking, you know, with so many different agencies uh, and other you know law enforcement agencies from other countries attend the, the national academy as well so that was a great opportunity i'm still close with with many of those folks and uh uh you know like you when i was when i was growing up in houston i didn't want to see those those the light bulbs in the back window either you know and i i i wasn't by any means perfect and had my a few little run-ins too but uh but it's nice to have friends in other states uh, in law enforcement, when you need something or they need a favor uh, or a contact, uh, really helps out a lot. And, and the, the relationships, and it goes back to everything. It goes back to what you talked about right off the bat, our relationship. I mean, that's, what, that's what's so important. That's how we get things done. That's how, you know, we, you help, you've helped me through decisions. I've helped you through decisions. Uh, you know, it's all, all about relationships. And I always say that in law enforcement, Law enforcement is a team sport. 
and I mean that somewhat jokingly. It's, you know, it's obviously a very serious career, but um, we can't accomplish anything by ourselves within Parks and Wildlife. We have to rely on other agencies. As I mentioned before, we have to rely on people like you that have the heart and the drive to support us and to care and to do what's right. And just for the record, so you can back me up here, I've never had to call you to bail me out of any kind of serious trouble. So, well, there was that one time, that one time. <laughs> you Remember you and Alvin got, yeah, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've got that card and I hope I never have to play it. You know, you said something interesting that it wasn't necessarily your father, but, but a friend's father. It doesn't have to be your kid. It doesn't have to be you, but but to put that spark in a young person, to get them to, to respect animals, to respect nature, to the seriousness of hunting and, and, and just how fortunate we are to have the opportunity to hunt. I think it gets, it gets misconstrued quite often. Like, you know, hunting these days has uh, this general perception of, of like someone maybe going to, it, not in the South and where we are, but maybe, maybe in larger urban areas where a hunter is like someone who goes and kills a caged lion or something like hunting hunting is a deep respect for the environment for for the for for nature for wild animals and and for me the kill is is not really um, all that joyful honestly it's a serious moment in the process of providing food and sustenance for your family in what i think is a responsible and sustainable way like I would rather kill an axis deer that's invasive in Texas and just happens to be a delicious animal and go through the, the difficult process of hunting that animal, killing that animal, and then properly and respectfully, you know, uh, butchering that animal and then providing that, that meat for my friends and family. It has just significant meaning. And I think about having that opportunity, whereas maybe somebody in Europe who, who where, where hunting is very difficult, um, it's it's difficult to obtain permits. It's usually reserved for the wealthy. And gosh, I just I, I can't think of a greater um, luxury and privilege than what we have in terms of being able to buy a state license and then access either public land or private land and, and then be able to hunt and teach our kids to hunt. But if you were to take if you don't have kids and you love to hunt, you know hit up one of your friends so that maybe you could take their child out at a, at a, at a, at a young but mature age and teach them the value and respect for animals. Because I think that that's the, like, there's no greater example than hunting for me to where the, that fine razor line be, between perversion and beauty exists. Like if you're going out just cause you want to kill a bunch of stuff and whether it's spotlight and rabbits and, or just blasting hogs and letting that animal lay there, maybe suffer, versus someone who who has really practiced their shot and and feels obligated to that animal to 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 not allow it to suffer, and to and you know it's just it's all in your intention and how you approach that activity. And for me, it's just so important that it's done the right way, or it's one of the ugliest things that we can do. It, it, exactly. And I think you might have seen my daughter in the background walk through there a second ago. You know, I took her a few years out, uh, a few years back, uh, out to Junction. We've talked about that piece of property out there that some friends have that we have access to. And she shot her first deer. But, but she, you know, we had taken her for multiple years prior and it, we never quite got there. And I think that brings so much to the experience. She learned something every time. You know, we learned we were together. It's that time you spend together. It's that respect that you build. Uh, why do you choose to take that animal versus another animal? And, you know, you're right. I think that's, you know, that's a, it's a gift for us to be able to do that. And now fast forward in the current situation that we are with the virus, you know, we've got, we're lucky and blessed to have some deer meat, a lot of deer meat out in, out in the freezer. And, you know, I've shared that with our friends and neighbors as well. And, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, that's a definition of, of, of being sustainable. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I shot my first deer in, in 1983. Okay. Uh, off of 1431 between Lago Vista and Marble Falls. You're I'm not on my, I didn't shoot it on the highway. I shot it on the property <laughs> adjacent to the highway. Sure. <laughs> 
but yeah, but I mean the, you know, the population, think about this, JT, the population in Texas was 16 million. Okay. So it's, it's doubled. We're at 30 million. It's basically doubled since then. And so, you know, what challenges does that, does that bring to us and what responsibilities do we have to deal with that? I think that's, you know, what you're talking about as far as being ethical and responsible hunter, being ethical and responsible angler. It's more important now than ever because we have a lot more demand on our natural resources. And, and that's something that I think we really need to focus more attention on. And, you know, I, I don't, I practice catch and release 95% of the time. And as you know, I, I love to fly fish. You've worked with me a lot on that. Uh, but if you decide to take a, a redfish or two for dinner, do it, take it. And, and, and I support that. And I think sometimes we can, we can go a little too far. I think as long as we have that conservation minded attitude and we understand the big picture, but I think there also is beauty in taking that one or that one redfish to have to take home to have for dinner. 100%. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I think uh, Texas, especially, we just you know we've got other industries. We've got you know, we've got you know so much oil, and and so the coast takes a back seat to that industry. Whereas, like, take Florida for example, their main industry is is tourism. Um, aside from some of the agricultural water issues that they're having, um, mm -hmm. there's just a, a real priority on making sure it's a beautiful place to come visit. But I don't know, Texas, you, you, you know my, my, my view and my frustrations are, are basically that a lot of people come down to the Texas coast to be guided or to fish on their own. And the whole experience is based on whether or not they can keep their legal limit. And I just think, personally, I think that there's a lot more um, a lot more to absorb in the experience than just basing it on whether you're successful on catching a, a, a full limit of fish. And uh, I, I work on showing people a deeper appreciation for, the, for our Texas coast, all the bird life, all of our beautiful marsh, and just the, the health and, and the biomass of, of the fertility of, of our ecosystem down there. And, uh, you know, everyone's in it for their own reasons. And I respect other perspectives on it. I would just, <clears throat> I would like to, to share what's, what's captured. I'm the same as you, like nobody really in my family fished at least not beyond, you know, a, a drugstore, you know, uh, closed face reel and a, and a red and white bobber with like a night crawler on it. We didn't, right. we didn't really know what we were doing. And it was sort of a personal epiphany in my life meeting all the people at the Austin Angler back in the early 90s and then fly fishing it just opened up a whole it, it created that spark that that you got as a young boy and uh, there was no turning me back and so I just think you know without without that experience without lucking into that that situation I might not have ever uh, came across that you know that I, I might have never had that opportunity to feel that way about it and so yeah and it's yeah it's I mean we talk about the sunrises and the sunsets and really everything that's in between. I mean, when you set the hook or you pull the trigger, that's a split second. And think about all the time that you're outside and that you put the trip, the drive, uh, you know, the, the evenings, the campfires, the meals, everything. And then if there's one second you set the hook or, and maybe you don't even do that. Because, I mean, we've all been on fishing trips where you don't set the hook or we've been on hunting trips where you don't pull the trigger. And I think that's okay. That's more than okay. That, again, goes back to the overall experience. And, you know, you mentioned that if you, if you don't have kids or if, if you know some other kids that want there, – there's a lot of programs out there. I mean, there's Texas Wildlife Association Youth Hunting Program that people can get involved with. There's angler education programs that people can get involved with through the Parks and Wildlife Department. So there's a lot of opportunity, but people always, people ask me a lot of times, you know, what's the most important takeaway? What, what is your, if you could say, you know, one thing, what would it be? And I would say, take young people, take kids outside. And, you know, it could be a hike. I mean, you could take them, you know, I'm, I'm 
here in central Austin, I, I, you could take a kid down to the Mueller Lake and to Mueller Pond and take a couple of bass rigs out there and go catch some, some bass. There's so much opportunity. You just have to know where, where, where that opportunity is. And I think that goes along with that connection that I'm talking about. There has to be opportunity in Texas, obviously, is a, is a private land state, 95, 98% private, depending on what numbers you look at, private lands. But our coastline and our lakes and our rivers really is our public land. Yeah. And we have to do everything that we can. Let me tell you, you and I are exactly on the same page on the protection of the Texas coast. We could not be more closely aligned. And we also understand that there's a lot of opportunity in Texas and oil and gas has created some of, some of the, some of the, op, some of the funding to allow us to do certain things. But, you know, there's also a line, right? And, and we have to be careful where that balance is because the decisions that we make today right now are going to impact future generations are going to impact our kids and our kids, kids. That's what we have to think about because, you know, I, I I was watching uh, Patagonia's uh, 180 degrees south last night, and I've seen it a couple of times. And you know, we're all hunkered down watching TV. And you know what Chenard said about may, sometimes you have to make a 180 degree turn and then take a step forward. That's different than taking a step backwards. You know, sometimes you have to change kind of our approach and what we're doing, and so if something's not working or if something is going to impact the environment so strongly, maybe you do a 180 and you take a step forward. And I think that that's, that can't be off the table. Yeah. I, 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 I in my heart, you, you referencing that, I know exactly the 180 turn that I would like to see taken. You know, one thing I took for granted uh, before I met you, we became close friends and I became involved with parks and wildlife is, you know, you just think about law enforcement as this integral part of the government that it's like, you know, a powerful entity. And I, I was shocked to find out what little funding Texas Parks and Wildlife gets through the overall state budget. But you guys deal, you guys do what you do um, on less than 1% of the state budget. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. Yeah, then, that's correct. Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, which is a 501c3, is separate, a completely separate entity from Texas Parks and Wildlife, but they exist solely to help supplement and fund Texas Parks and Wildlife um, to make you guys stronger and give you the tools that you need to do what you do. They do, and, and sort of, you know, another aspect of the Parks and Wildlife Foundation is the Gear Up for Game Warden program that's a subsidiary of the foundation and uh you know they specifically help law enforcement they help us get a lot of the tools that we need to do our job and again we have some good friends in the legislature we have some friends that have supported us and and uh but again there's a lot of competition and there's going to be more competition moving forward we're about to enter a very challenging time due to the virus as it relates to state budgetary processes like 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 we've never seen like we've never seen before yeah, like we've never seen before. So the challenges are going to be even greater. Uh, and the, the opportunity for the private sector and the citizenry of Texas to support us and to support the foundation, I think, is, gonna, is, is, is hard to measure. Uh, we really don't know what's going to happen in the next session, but it's, it's, it's going to be uh, very, very challenging. <clears throat> and I'm not taking away anything from the healthcare needs Obviously, uh, that's hugely important, and there's lots of people that are suffering. Uh, and there's, you know, uh, people have lost friends and family, so I don't mean to minimize that at all. That's hugely important. Uh, but again, it's going to be a very challenging time as it relates to state budget. But the foundation, and of course, you've been a part of that as an ambassador, uh, have, have, have helped raise, you know, mil literally millions of dollars for law enforcement, hundreds of millions of dollars for the department. And you can do a lot with that kind of money. You know, you can do a lot with that. So thank you for your help specifically, but thank you to, to lots of people. So we, uh, we did a, a, one of the very difficult jobs that Texas Game Wardens do is recovery of drowning victims. And that's something that we take very seriously. Uh, we do many, many recoveries a year. 
we have a specialized dive team that, that does a lot of those recoveries. Our game wardens utilize side scan sonar, which the foundation and Gear Up for Game Wardens helps to purchase. But uh, last, a couple of years ago, we recovered a victim that was deceased who had drowned. And the mother of that victim donated, I think it was $50 to Gear Up for Game Warden. But you could just sort of tell that that $50 was a huge about amount of money. You know, the last thing we wanted was for her to give us anything. You know, we're, we're here to, to provide a service and with compassion, and that's what, that's what we're going to do. But she felt, she felt it, that it was, it, just, it was almost her duty to make a donation to, to us in, in her son's name. And I'll never forget that because we've received $10,000 donations, $25,000, $50,000. But that $50 donation to us, that, uh, that got us. That was, uh, that was the real deal. Oh man, that's that's heavy duty, and that <clears throat> that equipment. Excuse me, that I I got to see firsthand. I rode on the on the boat as part of the the Citizens Academy, and and it's like the the previous equipment that you guys had was like maybe that's a body down there. We don't know, and it would take hours and hours of your time and resources to to vaguely determine if you were in a hot spot or not. And with that new side scanning sonar stuff, like you you get close to like I was looking on the bottom and we had submerged a dummy in like 50 foot of water and, and the wardens were driving around with the, with the equipment, um, you know, you know, winched over the side. And it was like, you could see the, the eye sockets and the nose, the shape of the nose with that sonar. And yes. that wasn't provided by the tax dollar. That wasn't provided by the people of Texas and their tax money. That, that was supplemented through private donations through the foundation. Right. That's exactly right. And, and I think to that point, you know, there's always, in, you know, obviously, in a disaster response, I, I, you know, we talked about Harvey for, for a few minutes, but there's, you know, there's sort of a, a little bit of a, of a conflict, and that's probably too strong of a word to talk about, you know, public safety. And because we, we're state peace officers, you know, Texas Game Wardens are, are state peace officers, and, and there's a lot that goes along with that. We all know that what our mission is, our, our primary mission is, you know, the protection of natural resources and water safety and, and what we do day to day. But there's a lot of other, you know, things that come along with that. You know, we may wake up in the morning and, and, and you know, go out on Lake Travis and for a normal patrol. And before, before it's said and done, you're arresting someone for, for operating a watercraft under the influence of, of methamphetamine or something. You know, they could, there, there's cocaine. There's no telling there could be an assault. There could be, all, it's just like any other type of law enforcement. But, you know, natural resources is, is, our, is our primary mission. And that's something that, that we're, you know, extremely, extremely proud of. Um, but, and I, I think that, but again, you know, clean water, clean air, if that's not public safety, I, I don't know what is. And I think that's, again, we got to keep, keep pushing that mind, mindset. I mean, that again, why, why does what we do as game wardens, what you do as an ambassador for the, for the, for the outdoors matter to someone in downtown San Antonio, downtown Houston, downtown uh, Dallas that doesn't hunt or fish? Well, I guarantee you they care about clean water and they care about clean air and they care about wild spaces. And so again, it's drawing that connection. And, and that's something that I, I don't, I think we're some, sometimes it's our responsibility. It's your responsibility to do everything we can to allow people to, to find, to find that connection and to, and to be educated in why it matters to them and to, and, uh, and find that switch and turn that switch off. A hundred percent, man, you don't have to comment on this, but I feel irresponsible not mentioning it. A big part of uh, the discussion in the Saltwater Advisory Committee meetings of the last several sessions have pertained to some industrialization on the Middle Texas coast where I live and guide. And, and a big part of that is, is healthy for the state, which is the Permian Basin has a tremendous amount of oil. Um, that oil is, is, um, creates a lot of wealth in the state of Texas. It's being piped down to the Middle Texas coast because the Galveston ports are just maxed out. Um, and in, 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 in bringing that oil to the Middle Texas coast, 
there, there's, there's some strong voices um, that are suggesting that, that the pipeline should continue offshore to a safe offshore loading terminal, which is done um, a majority of the time in different parts all around the world to get oil from an inland estuary out to the open Gulf would be a safer maneuver than to try to bring uh, VLCCs, which are very large crude carriers, giant super tankers essentially into our shallow water estuary and all the way to the port of Corpus Christi. Well, if those ships don't come in, if they load up offshore, then, they, then the port of Corpus Christi, which is a, which is a government elected board of, 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 of citizens, who owns land, which is the Port of Corpus Christi. The Port of Corpus Christi can't commission the contents of those vessels unless they tie up to Port, Port of Corpus Christi property. And so the move that's supported, from what I understand, by Governor Abbott, uh, Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, which I think is an absolute disgrace, the Corps of Engineers, and somebody else I'm leaving out. But anyway, I, that, there's nobody in Texas that I've talked to. The vast majority of Texans have no idea about these projects. Essentially, the, 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 the powers that be have made it very difficult to obtain information about these projects. One of the projects is to build a giant tank farm and um, a, a VLCC port on Harbor Island, which is adjacent to Port Aransas, right where the ferry crosses to Port Aransas. The city of Port Aransas is just in an outcry because it basically it, it basically creates a huge health hazard to their citizens and also a giant deterrent to tourism, which is what they depend on for their economy. Somehow, the, the, the power and the money involved with bringing these ships into our bay versus bringing the oil offshore to a loading terminal is strong enough to override, you know, the, the health of our environment down there. And this is not, I'm, I'm pretty much apolitical. I have a lot of conservative values, but I also have some, some liberal values. Um, I'm somewhere down the middle. I try to be rational about it, not political about it. But one thing, like you mentioned, and, and, and it's, it's a selfish reason, I make my living on the health of the Middle Texas coast. And I exploit redfish and I exploit the Middle Texas coast to make a living. My form of exploitation is to pole around in a small skiff, show people the different aspects of our environment down there and catch and release redfish and on occasion keep a couple redfish for dinner. Um, the exploitation involved with the Port of Corpus Christi is to basically dredge an 80 foot channel through the middle of our bay in order to bring in ships that have never made it into a shallow water estuary anywhere around the world. The dredging to 80 feet would make the smallest estuary in, in America the deepest port in America simultaneously, which has never been done anywhere around the world. They're alleviating the need for environmental impact studies. And, and I just feel like Texans who, of which I am one seventh generation are, are so blinded by the rhetoric of, of freedom and liberty and, and, and no government that, that they're blinded to the fact that, that our politics, our governor serves corporations he doesn't, in my mind, have a heart for the people of the state. He's talking about jobs. Well, local jobs might include one or two security guards to look over the, this, these massive operations. They're very much high technical, like computer driven, you know, low manpower type operations. I'm going on and on, but you know how passionate I am about this particular subject. And I, I just urge people to look into these projects and make up their own mind about what they think is healthy for the state. Do we want to destroy, do we want to destroy whooping crane habitat after saving the whooping cranes has been one of the greatest triumphs of the history of conservation in this country? Do we want to ruin Bird Island um, Basin, National Seashore, one of the last undeveloped 40 mile stretches of beach in this country? Do we, do we want to bring these ships, ships in for what is a 30 year supply of oil coming from the Permian Basin. When it's all said and done, those corporations take their money and leave and we're left with a toxic waste dump. Uh, and I, know, I think that people that are involved equate Texas Parks and Wildlife in, into, that, into that equation along with Governor Abbott, TECQ, Corps of Engineers, and the Port of Corpus Christi. 
I know for a fact from sitting in those meetings that Texas Parks and Wildlife biologists and wardens have voiced major concern over these projects and, and what, what, the, what the effects will be to our ecosystem down there. So I, I want people to know that Texas Parks and Wildlife is not some submissive um, ent government entity that's on board with these projects. They, they have voiced major concern and their voice is, is not necessarily a determining factor in the decisions that are gonna be eventually made by the governor and these other agencies. Well, I mean, okay, that's why I love you. That's why I love you, man. That's why I love you because of your passion. Oh. And, you know, um, I mean, you know, John Murr didn't sit back either, right? You know, when everything was, was happening and, and the dams were being built in, in, uh, in, in, in California. And so he was very outspoken. And I think we have to have that. We have to have, there has to be dialogue, you know, on both sides of this. Uh, just real simply, my outlook is, is again, I've already referenced how important oil and gas is to the state of Texas. Uh, there are, I think there are ways to do it, uh, that don't necessarily, uh, uh, change our coast, change the coastline. Uh, and again, that sort of goes back to what I was saying about the 180 degree, uh, step forward. I just think we need to be smart because these, when we lose an acre to development on the coast, it's gone. You know, we're not going to get it back. Uh, we, if, but I think more, more so than that, we have to be smart about, uh, you know, mitigating threats to the coast. We have enough uh, because, again, you know, hurricanes and tropical storms are, are natural. They, they, they serve a purpose. They still serve a purpose. Unfortunately, now, some, some, you know, I'm talking about before people were there, right? Well, now we have people and business and commerce and all you know it's, it's and so when a hurricane or a tropical it's devastating now it, it used to serve a purpose of opening passes and bringing fresh water and changing flows and and that's all that's all gone away because we've changed the landscape so i guess my question is is two is what happens when we have not if but when we have a major natural disaster uh after some of this infrastructure is in place that's a concern of mine uh, but also just the, the continued development along the coastline, uh, really along the entire coastline. It's changing so quickly. And, and, and that goes, again, back to what we were saying, uh, just the changes in our lifetime. Uh, we're, we're sort of, we're in a, in a time to where we really have to think is what is the long-term, what is the short-term return on the investment? A generation or two from now, you know, after the population in Texas isn't at 30, but it's at 60 million. Where are people, where are people going to go? What are we going to have? What are our kids going to have? And as far as it relates to the natural resources. And so we have to be really, really smart on our choices. I think that again, it's, it's the, the more, the more land we can conserve, in my opinion, we're just, it's, it's money in the bank. It's okay. money in the bank down the road. Yeah, you know, and, my, my boys are young. If I, if I can't share with them what I've spent my whole life appreciating here in Texas, that's a devastating concept to me. That who I am and where I'm from and what I've dedicated my life to won't be even something that I can, you know, physically show them in another 10 but, years. And, and, 10 years. and you're talking about that connection. Because again, what if you know if we have a completely developed coastline? What's what's the point then? You know what you know. We talked about trying to find the connection in in someone that's in downtown San Antonio, Austin, Dallas. Well, now we we have we they they there's still that connection that exists. But fast forward sixty years from now, what what are we, where's that connection going to be? What are we going to have to to demonstrate? So, I think we've. Uh, again, and I'm, I'm pretty apolitical, obviously, too, uh, but we do have to make hard choices and hard decisions. Uh, I just think that, that at some point, the environment, the environment has to win. I can't believe that that's become a political term, that environment could represent to some people um, some, some leftist tree-hugging 
perspective. Environment is the surrounding in which we can survive. And clean water and key air, clean air has to be paramount to our decision-making on a political level. Like the, what really bothers me is that the good, hardworking people of this state who have very little time, free time, to focus on, on the depth of these issues um, are led to believe that it's for you, you know, national strength and security. Well, that oil, if you want, if you, I've talked to a lot of energy experts, and if you really want strength and security for the United States, then that oil should remain in the ground till it's the last oil left on the planet. That gives us all the cards in our deck. But what happens, and I understand it, hey, if, if, if some property that I inherited from my parents had a million barrels of oil in it, I'd probably be wanting to pump it out too, even at low, low prices to get a million bucks in my account. I totally get that. And I'm, I'm not immune for, from, from that sort of desire. But all the oil coming from the Permian Basin, it, it belongs to the landowner, it's bought by the oil companies, and it's pre-sold to China and South America. As fast as they can tank it out from those pipelines into super tankers, it's gone and America will never see that oil again. That's the truth about this project. It's not going to secure our national interests. It's well, going to make a few people a lot wealthier than they already are, and that's it, period. So do we want to exchange the health of our Middle Texas coast and that amazing resource, One of what I think one of the most beautiful, I think it deserves the same protection as Yellowstone and Glacier and, and, and you know Redwoods National Forest. I think that the Texas coast and what I've been able to share with people around the world and it is an exquisitely beautiful and fertile place. And the, the idea that we would, we would just completely destroy it for 30 year supply of oil with a five year profitability window after all the infrastructure is built is, is, is just beyond sinister. Well, I think, I think that the other thing too is, the, is that we have to be willing to do the homework like you've done and connect the dots, whether we're talking about the Texas coast or whether we're talking about Pebble Mine. You know, a lot of times, unfortunately, uh, and not in every case, but a lot of times in these situations, the, the profiting, the companies that profit are not even American companies. Exactly. And, and that's, I think, again, is, is some of the tragedy in, in all of this. I do too. Moving on. Hey, thanks for sharing in that with me for a second. You know, that's, that, 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 this particular project down there keeps me up at night. But I, think I know it does. I know it does. And, and, and again, Thank God for your passion and, and you know, obviously you, you care uh, enough to, to uh, I know you've attended many of those, those scoping meetings and, and just, again, thank you for. They make it painful, man. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really tough to go to those public meetings. They take hours and hours. They, anyway, I want to talk about what your game wardens do um, on a daily basis. What, you know, we talked about the, the drowning recoveries and you mentioned earlier that you've got some wardens off the coast um, right now, retrieving long lines, illegal, um, illegal fishery, you know, practices. But even even their patrolling of our commercial fishery, like the commercial fishery, it's a big problem that licensed commercial fishermen aren't necessarily recording their catches. And like the oyster boats, I know that your wardens are all over those oyster boats, and they're often running same, you know, same nets and long lines and keeping flounder and other thing. They're not. Per permitted to, 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 to catch. And just talk to us about what the role of a game warden is and what dangers and what crazy stories you have as a, a 27, 28 year veteran of the force. And just yeah, well, with the life of a, a career game warden and what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I started over in East Texas in, uh, in Tyler County, bordered Hardin County and Angelina County, Jasper County. And, Polk County. And I mean, that's really East Texas. And that's sort of where I cut my teeth and uh, was lucky enough to, to work with some game wardens that had worked uh, in this during the seventies and the late sixties when I came on in, in 93, 94. So just having that opportunity was absolutely amazing to be able to learn and hear there. You talk about some stories. And in fact, I, I don't think I can repeat many of them on this oh, podcast, on but, we can do it. but, but you know, we, for, seriously, you know, we lost, we've lost 19 Texas game wardens in the line of duty, number one. So we can't ever forget that. Game wardens that you know, gave their life to protecting our natural resources. And we talk about passion and we talk about heart. 
but they gave their life. And we're still in contact with, with their families to this day on the anniversaries uh, of their death. So that's something that, that is always top of mind for, for us. And then the game wardens that have, again, I mentioned the game wardens in East Texas that, that fought the netting wars down on the coast in the 70s and 80s. Uh, that worked the border region in the 50s and 40s. I mean, we've been around, Texas Game Wards have been around for 125 years. One of the oldest law enforcement agencies in the state. Very storied. Uh, uh, but I think the most important thing to me is the compassion that these men and women have. And I have seen it firsthand. Uh, we, I say we, I mean that in the context of Game Wardens, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm all, I should say they because they do such an incredible job while, while I sit around in an office. But game wardens were asked to take a more active role in, in border security a few years back uh, just based upon the numbers of folks that were coming across the border. Uh, there were some days that, that just in a very small nine-mile stretch, our game wardens were coming in contact with seven, 700, 800 uh, immigrants coming coming across and so it, it was really a, a a public safety issue uh, a lot of them were coming across the river in, in in homemade rafts and no life jackets and it was a it was it was a big deal uh, just because of the, the 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 sort of the situation that those kids coming across could be put in yeah. so we were dealing with that and of course there was a criminal element too that was coming across and that's something that that uh, that's very dangerous as well. But a lot of a lot of smuggling was going on. It still is. But there was a couple of situations where one, a young man from Honduras, uh, had went under. Our game warden saw him go under. Uh, got to his location within just a few seconds. Was able to locate him, pull him up, and actually gave him mouth to mouth resuscitation and saved his life. And that's the kind of of work that these game wardens do. And I mentioned the hurricane and natural disaster response, tornadoes, floods, but what they do every day is just how they interact with the people of the state of Texas. Uh, you mentioned commercial fishing. Commercial fishing is huge. It's multi-billion dollar industry to the state. And you talk again about development uh, uh, along the coast and, and what could change that and what could impact that. I mean, our, our commercial fishery is very, very healthy. Our shrimp fishery is healthy. Our oyster fishing is, is, is healthy. We don't want to do anything that could jeopardize and change that through, through, uh, through uh, development, obviously. But I, I won't get back on that for right now. The majority of commercial fishermen do things the right way, first and foremost. In fact, we have, I'm friends with some of them. They're, they're, they're good people, and I, I, want, I want the audience to understand that. There is, however, an element in anything, in any group, in any industry uh, that, you know, they're going to try to take a shortcut. They're going to do what they can to uh, increase their profits. And so in oystering, of course, oystering, too, back to public safety. I mean, if someone eats an oyster uh, from a, a polluted water, uh, not only could they get sick, they could die. Uh, you know, it's very, very dangerous. So... You know, our game wardens ensure that uh, oysters are harvested from clean water, not polluted water, not, not areas that are closed by the health department. Uh, again, back to the, back to the Gulf shrimping and bay shrimping, uh, game wardens play a vital role in that, as do fisheries biologists. I want to be, you know, we work with other divisions every day within Parks and Wildlife and other agencies. So our biologists, our, our fisheries and wildlife techs, hats off to them as well. They do a fantastic job. But, you know, day to day, I, let's think about this. Here we are, and, and both of us are in Austin. So what's going on? Well, you've got the Colorado River below Austin that's getting a lot of attention now. You've got all the lakes. You've got the lake region. You have – so you have game wardens going out to, to – they could even go out – you know, they even go out to Lady Bird every once in a while. But primarily in this area, you've got Travis. Uh, you've got Buchanan. And, uh, you know, again, just ensuring that folks are abiding by the laws and the regulations of the state that they're not putting other people in danger by boating while intoxicated. Uh, we've had horrific boat accidents on Travis and on Buchanan in recent, in recent years. So, you know, we want you to go out and have a good time and abide by the rules. 
but when that starts infringing on other people's safety or taking advantage of the natural resources, our folks are going to get involved and we expect them to get involved. And so that's something that they take very seriously. Uh, on Travis, last summer, we had a, a, some, some game wardens were patrolling. They were actually run over by another vessel. The operator was severely intoxicated. He had had like three DWIs on the road and been cited for being drunk behind the wheel of a boat before. And he ran yeah, that, the game warden's boat. That was a bad, that was a bad deal. But um, they, were yeah, able, so, they were able to reverse out of the way, right? And just, yeah, just, just quickly enough. If not, it, it would have been, it would have been, it would have gone right over the center console. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. But you, know, you, you mentioned some stories, and I'll, I'll tell you one that's kind of interesting real quick. And this is when I was over in East Texas. So there was a family. In fact, National Geographic did a story. I've still, I've got the, we have every, my parents have every National Geographic, I think, since the beginning of time. But. I think it was in 1972 or 1974, there was an article and it was called The Throw of the Natchez. And it was on a stretch of the Natchez River that, that was on that sort of Tyler County, Hardin County line, Jasper in uh, uh, Tyler County, the area that I, that I worked, but well bef before the time I was there. And it was, uh, there, there, was some, there was a little island that was in the river and it was called Eason Island. Well, the Eason family, and, and I'm friends with some of these folks, so, so I don't want you to think by any means to, to, that they're guilty through association. But they've been down there a long time, okay, a long time. And uh, they're very, very in tune with the, uh, with the natural environment. And so when I hit Tyler County, of course, I met a few of them. And the first one I met, I pulled into a boat ramp and uh, off the Natchez River, and there was just one truck, and, and he was – he was pulling his boat out of the out of the river, and I was brand new. I mean, I'd been there for three or four months. I was by myself. He was the only other person down there. He wasn't wearing any shoes, and he he was probably I don't know, forty five or fifty years old at the time. And he said, "Are you the new game warden here?" And I said, "Yes, sir, I am. I'm Graham Jones. Nice to meet you." And he shook my hand, and he was personable, but he was still kind of eyeing me a little bit, you know, sizing me up. And so we, we exchanged pleasantries and talked a little bit about fishing. And he said, well, if you ever want to learn this river, just, you know, come in and hop in with me and et cetera, et cetera. And so we, uh, we said our goodbyes and I was walking away and he said, oh, hey, one more thing. I said, what's that? And he said, the only season I believe in is salt and pepper. <laughs> but so we chased, so we chased, we chased a few of those family members off and on for the next few years. And, uh, we, my partner and I, Mike Wheat, went out one night, and we were going to work all night long. So we put our John boat in uh, off a slough, and we were working some backcountry sloughs. And it was in the spring. I think it was my, my first spring and year anniversary that I was there. And uh, it, was a, it was cloudy that night. And I probably shouldn't tell the story, but because game wardens are not supposed to get lost, but we got lost. I'm talking about slough, pine trees, no stars, no moon, no cell phones, nothing. And uh, we got back in there. I mean, it was just a, it was a spider web of, of different, different sloughs and bayous. And, and uh, lo and behold, uh, an Eason is the one that found us and got us back, <laughs> got us back safely. And so... You know, we finally, the next morning, I mean, it's eight o'clock, by the way, by the time we find our, find our vehicle and get back. And, and, uh, you know, it's like, it's like two opposing teams meet, you know, at the 50 yard line for the coin toss and then everyone goes their own way. Right. So we just kind of, things went back to normal, but that was like a timeout. Hey, game warden's lost. Let's help him out and find him. And then, so he can catch us again. Right. So that's kind of the. The, the mentality yeah. of it, but it was, uh, you know, and, and great people in East Texas. And I, I, I again, I, I talk to some of those guys to this, to this day. That's awesome, man. So, uh, look, you're retiring at 50 years old and you're, and you already said like your genetics make it to, into their nineties, even as men. So, you know, well, you know, I, retiring, retiring is sort of, 
Yeah, again, I am I am starting this new gig. What are your plans for your family and for yourself? Well, again, I, I'm I'm very excited about working for the 100 Club. Uh, as far as plans for myself and my family, I mean, I really want to continue. Uh, to be involved in, in issues that, that relate to, to conservation in Texas and beyond, to issues that, that relate to the environment, uh, and issues that, that relate and affect first responders, uh, primarily law enforcement and, and firefighters and EMS, uh, something, again, as I mentioned, is extremely important to me. So I'll be very active uh, in all of that. I think that something that Again, we've been trying to find the silver lining, right, during this COVID, and it's really impossible to find. I, I figured out that that with all the, the the suffering and the death, I think a silver lining is really the wrong thing to say, uh, because that that would be that would be very selfish. But I think it is a time for us, and even moving forward from here. And you wrote about it in a post on Instagram. I read that maybe a time to become a little bit more introspective, a time to read uh, and learn and get to know. I mean, I've spent more time with my daughter. We went on a walk, a three-mile walk last night around the, around Hyde Park. And, you know, it's a time to, to maybe get rid of some of the junk in our lives and the fluff. And, and not just now, but maybe this sets the tone for that. Uh, I think that Something, and, and we've talked about this before, JT, is to focus on quality rather than amounts. You know, get a save up and, and work hard and, 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 and buy, that, buy that, maybe that fly rod that is going to last a little longer. Or that sh I'd rather have four or five good shirts that I really like to wear rather than all just a full closet of stuff that I never use. So, working towards maybe a little bit more of, a, of a, an approach of being a, a minimalist to some degree, I think is, and we've downsized, our family's downsized recently, and you can tell this is our, back here, this is our living room, kitchen, study, library, <laughs> but it's great. Less I mean, to clean, less to put, less to deal with, happier. That's it, that's it. Uh, and so- Let's go yeah. to Lookenbach, Texas. <laughs> Really? <laughs> hey, let me grab this guitar. <laughs> I was gonna but, say, I'm sorry for, for scheduling this thing in the morning. Me and you'd probably be having a, a mezcal cocktail and, and, and playing some tunes together if things That's right, that's right. I, in fact you, you stole that line. I was gonna use that line, that mezcal line, but you got <laughs> to it first. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's I think what we're and maybe this is what it took to sort of be the 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 genesis to to get some of that, that mindset going that way. Um, but yeah, I don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of junk behind, behind your, your picture there either. I, I noticed we both have some, uh, some type of horns on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> so that one behind me is a, uh, it's a, it's an ox and it was one of the last working oxen from the prison system. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't, someone gave it to me. I don't know where it came from. It's got a little plaque on there. That's what it says. That's uh, that's one of two giant bass family longhorns that I found in the marsh of San Jose Island. Very nice. Over the last yeah. 25 yeah. years. It's about, you can't really tell from this perspective, but it's about eight and a half feet wide. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. But yeah, I mean, I think that we all want the same thing, really. Um, and that's to just to, to, to sort of find that find that inner peace and in, in what what not just what makes us happy but what can we do what can we give back so really moving forward I want to try to give back and you've been doing a fantastic job of giving back um, you know you're you're uh, you think about sort of heroes in conservation and and folks that have uh, you know, impacted you and made a, I think, but not just a personal impact, people that have made a difference. And you, you start thinking about those people, uh, not just in Texas, but across the country. And whether it's, you know, Rachel Carson or uh, Dobie or Tom McGuane or, you know, any of these folks, but you're, you're, in, you're in that category, man. You, you, you have to understand 
the impact and what you're doing and that passion and how that, that how, what that brings to other people, that gift that you're giving to other people is, is incredible. Gosh, I sure appreciate that. Sometimes it feels all for nothing, but somehow I wake up positive about the whole thing and just keep trying to, to do my part and to get better at doing my part. I'm not, I'm far from perfect. And, and uh, I've enjoyed the process of learning not to run water when I brush my teeth, not, not to, uh, I don't water my yard. If the grass dies, let it die. I need different kind of grass that can survive in an arid environment, you know? Yeah. It, it, every every bit of snow that falls in the mountains makes its way to the sea if we let it and the health of our estuary depends on 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 rivers flowing you know so i i, I think the same as you like the like the, there's really no silver lining to the predicament that man's put itself in but everything does happen for a reason and we can certainly learn from it and make ourselves better stewards of the environment and that's i don't think there's any other way to live your life that's meaningful that that's it, and 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 back to what our game wardens are, you know, 559 game wardens do every day, and the support staff that works for this, the the, the non-commissioned support staff, the the admin folks that work in our offices and support our game wardens, and the fisheries biologists and wildlife biologists, and and the folks behind the scenes that you never hear of, but but you know are, are, are keeping our communications up and running, you know, when we need that, and all those. All those folks that are still working, they're all working right now. They're all, you know, they're all working and they're still trying to do uh, the best job that they can. And, and uh, in law enforcement and the opportunities that I've had, I've been able to see and interact with so many different agencies, uh, any, you know, all the agencies across the state. And, and as we mentioned before, so many others, but I would put Texas game wardens and, and I'm not saying me, I'm saying them. Texas game wardens up against anyone, anytime, as it relates to being self-sustaining, being professional, being compassion, having having compassion and being empathetic. They, they, they get it and they work hard and they want to do it for the right reasons. And my I, again, it's I wrote a paper when I was in seventh or eighth grade about wanting to be a Texas game board. I, I, my mom still has it. I think <laughs> she'll, she'll get it out every once in a while, but there's so Graham and they're all proud to have you too, sir. Uh, but the, the thing is, is that there's so many game wardens that I'm not the only one that wanted to be a game warden in seventh or eighth grade. You know? And so it, it's something that is so inherent to who, to what game wardens are. Uh, and again, no, nothing's perfect and no one's perfect. And that's not my point, but, um, they work hard and they're making a difference and it's, it's going to matter down the road to your kids and, uh, and, and my kids and then their kids. And so that's really why we do it is conservation for future generations, plain and simple. I mean, that's why you do what you do. That's why we do what we do and, and, and we do it together. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of it. 100% Graham. Hey, buddy. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me this morning. I well, sure thank you. you. And I, I sure appreciate Texas Parks and Wildlife and all the men and women that serve it, that agency. Well, well, JT, thank you. Thanks for having me. I uh, can't say enough about what you do. I'm, I'm proud to have worked with you and proud that you're a part of Parks and Wildlife, but more so, I'm proud to call you a friend, amigo. Me too, buddy. All right. Well, you guys take care and we'll resurface in. Go fishing or hunting. See you, brother. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye.